What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Overachiever Podcast, episode four. Just want to start this off by saying thank you to everybody tuning in. Thank you for everybody giving me support and sharing the episodes. I had a really, really great conversation with my guy, Coach McGinley, today, a member of the staff here at Lenore Ryan University. Before coming to Lenore Ryan, Coach McGinley played two years at the University of Clemson and was a GA for two years at Clemson after that. After his years at Clemson, he transitioned to a coaching job at Longwood University, coaching alongside his dad. This is just a really great conversation, a lot of great knowledge about life and basketball, and I'm just really blessed to share this with you all today. Please like and share. Please do whatever you got to do on all your social media platforms to help me spread this great conversation. Overall, I'm really, really blessed just to be in this position I am today and having somebody with this much knowledge on the pod. Thank you, guys. Please like and share. Let's hop right into this conversation. Here we go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to episode four of the Overachiever Podcast with my guy, uh, Coach McGillen. Coach McGillen played basketball at Clemson University, uh, coached on their GA staff for two years after that, and then coached at Longwood University after that for two years, I think. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Coach. Both are incorrect. Okay, Clemson for one year, and then he was at Longwood for three, three years. And they won the conference championship. That was definitely wrong. I that out. Coach, go ahead and introduce yourself, please. Riley McGillen, uh, assistant basketball coach here at Lenore Ryan University. I have the wonderful privilege of coaching Hamilton Campbell every single day of my life. Yeah, he's not wrong. Me and Coach work out every single day. Sometimes we don't talk the whole workout, but it's okay. It's great work every single day. First question, because we just had this conversation. Recent news, like great world history right now. Breakdown, prime time in the Colorado Buffaloes. Prime time, y'all didn't believe, but we did. Uh, I absolutely love Dion and everything he's doing. Uh, I don't think you have to agree with him, and you may not like it, but the dude is right. Uh, I think I think his approach is essentially what college athletics is becoming. Uh, he doesn't shy away from it. I think a lot of people are anti-NIL or anti-portal, and they try to brush it on the rug, and they may not want to address it. And I, I do like how he just, you know, obviously his whole spiel walking in the first day with the meeting that was all over Twitter and everything like that, talking about, hey, I'm, you know, bringing my luggage. And, you know, I, essentially that's what a lot of coaches in, in every sport do with their rosters, but they may not be as transparent as he is. Uh and I appreciate that a lot about him. And uh, I think, I think if you look at, if you look at athletics from a high school, college, and professional standpoint, I think, at least for basketball, high school you win if you have more talent. Mm-hmm. Professional you win if you are able to better manage egos and personality. I think collegiately you win if you get guys to buy in. Um, if I'm at the high school level, if I just have a four-star, five-star player and you're a run-of-the-mill public school, I'm going to kill you every time. It every doesn't time. matter if it I don't know matter. anything about you know, coaching or not. I think professionally everybody is so good at that level. And obviously there's some you know, guys who are one percenters. But I think at the professional level, because you have so much talent and, and guys approach uh, their work daily in a professional manner – it's about managing egos and managing personalities. How do I get these guys, you know, to you may have been a, you know, 36-minute-a-game guy in Detroit, but now you're here in, 
you know, Golden State, hey, you may not have the same role. How do I get how do I get you to, you know, commit to what we're trying to do? I think collegiately it comes down to how do you get guys to buy in. There's a lot going on, particularly at your age. Um, there's a lot of things you want to be doing, and rightfully so, and you should. Um, but you may want to be this as a player. You may want this kind of role on a team. I think those coaches that get dudes to fully commit and buy into their program and their mission are the ones who are successful. And I think that's what Dion is really, really, really good at. What do you think in terms of key characteristics or qualities, what do you think the best qualities in a coach that makes guys buy in? Like what qualities would you try to um, work on if, if that's a – I mean – it's different for every coach, you think? I mean, it's not a black and white question, obviously. No, I mean, if you figure that out, you're going to make a lot of money because <laughs> you're going to be a really good coach one day. Uh, I think, I think it's, um, I think a lot of of that, and I think of a lot of just just coaching in particular, and and not even necessarily coaching, but leadership. Mm-hmm. Leadership is. Overall, yeah is I think it's it's decisiveness. I think it's guys who make decisions, this is what we're doing, right or wrong, but we're going full steam ahead. Uh, guys who don't tiptoe around making decisions, they don't ask for a lot of opinions. I think to be a great coach, to be a great leader, you are very, very decisive in what you want to do. And if it's wrong, it's wrong, and you fix it along the way. But I think that's where a lot of people lose uh, credibility and authority is, is they may not be um, totally bought into their – their own personal self-belief about what they want to do as a coach or as a leader. And I think really, really good ones, hey, this is the direction we're going. This is what we're doing. I believe in it. So if I, I – you can't you can't get other people to do what you don't believe in. Um, you know, it's 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 the old uh, Urban Meyer thing. It's, it's believe it, sell it, demand it. I have to believe it myself, and then I have to sell it to you, and then I have to demand it out of you every single day. Um, and so I think it begins with – with decision making, I think it begins with having uh, authority and respect. If you can't get the people and players in your program to respect, respect you, respect. it doesn't matter. You know, you can be the smartest person in the room, but if they don't respect you, they don't listen to you. Uh, it's not going to work. I think so much of um, getting guys to buy in is your ability to effectively convey your message. Um, you may you may know what you want to say and, and don't know how to say it. Yeah, you can't get your messages across. It's not how I communicate, it's how you listen. Um if if you're not you know, if if, if you're not gonna correctly, you know, absorb the message I'm putting out, then it doesn't matter what my message is. It may be the best me- best message in the world. Um and so I think all of those things uh and all those things stem from the top down. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, if you're looking at a organization or a program um you're looking at your head coach first um and and there's there's a totem pole effect you know as a head coach you've got to get those guys who are working for you your assistants your coordinators they've got to buy into what to what you do and they've got to believe because they're not going to relay the same message as you and if there's you know a lack of continuity within the organization or program then it's going to be really really hard for for those players to well i'm hearing this from this guy and well he's setting this example for me and um, you know that goes into uh, your your personnel, your roster, your older guys, your quote unquote leaders, or those with the most experience. They've got to do the same thing. You know, Tony Dungy, regenerative learning. You know, have your older guys help teach the newer guys. Um, and so it, it it all of it begins with your head coach. But I think I think that's a really really hard thing to do, and I think it's what so many coaches 
struggle with and look to be able to do. Um, I think those are probably, and there's a lot more, but I think those are probably uh, some of the most key aspects and be able to achieve that. The last thing you hit on in terms of older guys teaching the younger guys, and especially in basketball, I think football is a big sport in that realm too because you always have three, four-year guys. College basketball is a little different landscape. At the D1 high major level, guys aren't returning as much as they used to, but really successful teams they are. How important do you think it is for older guys to kind of lead the way, especially early in the season? Um, every, I mean, every coach is going to say the same thing as the old adage, uh, you know, championship teams or player-led teams, um, not coach-led teams. Um, you're going you're gonna to be more successful athletically if, if other players are holding other players accountable. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. A guy is going to listen to a guy in the locker next to him more than he's going to listen to me, uh, for better or for worse. Um, and like it's when when you have when you have dudes in a locker room who are who are holding others accountable and they don't care to hurt your feelings or step on your toes, that's when you have an opportunity to have a really really special team mm-hmm. um, in a really really special season, and. Um, you know, like you said, because of the fact that there is so much turnover in college sports and particularly college basketball, um, you need as many coaches as you can, and that's from the office to the locker room. Yep. If, if you can get more guys relaying the same message, that's going to – now you've got very, very impressionable new guys, transfers, you know, rookies, whatever the case may be. It's going to become very quickly, oh, this is just what we do here. I don't know any better. Or it's going to – be you stand out because you're not that and now it's obvious that you are a cancer or we got to get you out of here or you know maybe we made a mistake in bringing you in um but you're you're always you're always going to listen to a teammate more than you're going to listen to a coach um and i think that's a i think that is a key part of coaching i think really good coaches coach their players on how to coach because they understand that i think they know that when that locker room door closes, whatever said in there is going to get is going to get heard. Particularly, mm-hmm. like you said, by transfers, by freshmen, just because they are so so green and so impressionable. Um, and so, I think it's very very imperative as a coach to make sure that those who are in your locker room uh, are echoing the same message um, as you. The big thing that I took away from that and the first thing you said was transparency among everybody between the coach, the player. If the player has great transparency with the coach, then every player is on the same level. We all understand what coach is trying to tell us. Because in times, at times, if a coach is telling you one thing and another coach is telling you one thing, I mean, everybody, it's college athletics, you get in your feelings. Everybody does that. And it's, it's immature to do that, but growing kids, I think the biggest thing, especially you can see it with Dion at his success, you can see it with obviously probably Urban Meyer too, is transparency throughout the whole entire program from the top to the janitor that, that's late at night. Um, transition a little bit. What would you do to try to, I guess you could say, coach guys to coach better? How would you do that? How would you inspire your guys to lead better? Because obviously I think it's getting harder and harder to teach guys to lead the right way in today's world. I think it's so everybody's easily impressionable, seeing things on social media. Everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to be successful, which is not a bad thing. But how would you inspire guys to lead better and coach better? 
I think uh, I think you got to know what you would do first. Mm-hmm. Um, what would I, as a coach, do to lead in this situation? And I think you give authority to those guys to coach. Um, you know, I think I think really really good coaches will somebody they'll give you the answer sometimes. They'll hey man go tell this guy this. Mm-hmm. Here's what you need to go. You need to go tell him this. Um, you know, uh, giving giving guys the authority and the autonomy and the power to coach. Um, a lot of a lot of coaches they want to do it all themselves, and that's a, that's an issue. Um, you know, not just by giving the players power, but sometimes they'll struggle to give other staff members power. Um, but allowing your players to have authority, to have some control over the program, it, it, under the assumption they're doing the right things and saying the right things. But, um, you know, I mean, here's a great example. The other day in practice we, we had a, we had a uh, young man say something to a freshman. And uh, he said it very softly under his breath, and he said it just to him. And I, I remember I blew the whistle, stopped practice. Hey, repeat it loud so everybody can hear. Because what he said was correct. And not only does he need to hear it, but everybody needs to hear it. And now it's not just my voice um, that you're hearing. And and the fact of the matter is, at some point, every single dude is going to tune out their coach. They're going to get, I'm sick of you. You're just around each other all the time. If it's the same voice over and over and over, the message is going to get diluted. Um, And so you need different people delivering that message. And so that's an example of you've got to empower those guys. to do that and then when you do that i think one it gives that player a little bit of oh, okay like i can do this like it, coach is gonna let me rock out a little bit like uh, it gives you a little bit of, you feel good about yourself i want i want to do more of this i want to lead more um and then what it does obviously is it, it it shuts you up so it's not your voice over and over and over and over and now same thing just on the other end of the uh spectrum is now when i do speak I'm not the one speaking all the time. You probably heed my message a little bit differently because it's not just me yelling over and over and over just 24-7. I'm hearing the same voice all the time, and it just becomes droll, and I, 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 like, I, you start tuning it out. Um, but I think, I think like, what really good coaches do is, is, is they'll tell you. Like, they'll pull you aside. Hey, you need to do this, or they'll shoot you a text like, this is what you should say to this guy, or make sure tomorrow when we do this you – you know, tell him to do that or whatever the case may be. But I think, um, you know, you can't you can't necessarily expect that out of guys, mm-hmm. um, particularly like you said, because of the 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 nature of college athletics, where you just have so many new pieces every single year because of the portal and because of transfers. Guys are going to instinctively be more hesitant when they get to new programs. They, they may have been X, Y, or Z at their old program, but you're going to naturally be more inclined to be reserved when you get somewhere new. It's just human nature. And so you've got to recognize early as a coach who's got the innate ability to lead, who's got a, a voice, who's got um, guys already naturally following them, um, and, then, and then empower them, have a conversation with them, you know, um, explain to them, here are some things you need to be doing. You know, hey, make sure this week you talk to this guy about that. Um, but I, I think I think you've got you've to you've coach leadership. You've got to coach coaching just as much as you do X's and O's. Um, and that's very difficult to do. 
Um, ideally, you can recruit some of that. You have guys who are a little more natural-born leaders. Uh, and I also think the other important thing is is recognize those who don't want to be mm-hmm. in charge and don't try and force it upon them. You may be the best player in the room, but if you don't say a word, like then don't – like I'm a bad coach if I'm wasting my time running my head into a wall, tr- wall trying to get you to be, you know, Ed Reed screaming in the locker room. But that's just that's – just, that, that, just, that ain't you. And so I'm going to lose my mind just trying to get you to become something you're not when I may have a guy who may be a third-string dude, but, man, you know, he works his butt off and everybody respects him. And when he speaks, guys listen. Pour into that guy, you know, help him become uh, the leader because leadership does not discriminate. Um, it doesn't have to be the best player or the oldest guy. You may come in as a freshman or you may be, like I said, a third-string dude and you may just garner the respect and attention from others. Um, but I think it's recognizing one who who naturally kind of has those instincts and and has that aura where guys are drawn to them, and then it's it's teach them how to do it, um, you know, give them the tools, teach them, and it may like I said, it may be as simple as literally, hey, tomorrow you need to go grab this guy, and this is exactly what you need to say. Help them, help them, help other guys. Um, just kind of piggyback off what you said. We've had kind of had this conversation before. A really good team, you said before, and I kind of want to talk about this because it's really a message. A really good team, every single day, somebody can be the bad guy. Like, if we're obviously, you're not going to have a bad practice every single day. But, you know, if a drill's going bad, if you're playing bad in the game, you, you said to me, a really good team, every single day, a different guy can be the bad guy. A different guy can be, hey, lock in, let's get a stop. A different guy can be, hey, um, rebound the ball, or just, hey, we just need to have a better practice. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Because I think that's a really important message. Yeah, I think it, it's accountability is what you're talking about. Um, and you ideally have a program and a culture and a standard where it doesn't matter who's saying it, this is this is the line, we're going to hold you to it. And if I am a freshman walk-on or if I'm a fifth-year transfer or whatever the case may be, like this is what we're doing and we ain't coming off of it. Um and I think, I think a lot of that is generational. I think a lot of guys now, um, athletes, and 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 you know, today's day and age, there's a lot more sensitivity uh, in terms of I may come at you about this, and it may be man, that lip smack and turn the head, and uh, you know, those are losing attributes of of a bad team. Um, when you have a team where Guys can, hey, man, we ain't doing that. Or like, ah, that ain't it. That ain't the way. And you got guys, hey, you know what? You're right. You're right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And then when you have, you need you need multiple of that. Because if it's the same thing as coaching, if it's the same guy over and over and over, then you're going to tune him out. Um, it's the same thing. If you've got one coach on your staff who's always the bad guy, everybody's going to hate him, and you're just going to eventually tune him out. You've got to have multiple voices, both as a uh, as a staff and as a roster, Um and there, and there, there can't be – there's got to be enough um, bravado from the guy, like, making the claim, like, hey, dude, holding you accountable. Like, they've got to be okay with pissing off for a minute. Yeah. they got to be okay with hurting your feelings. Yeah. Like, hey, as, as soon as practice is over, we can go back and be boys. If practice is from 4 to 6, you may hate me from 4 to 6, but at 6.01, like, we'll go to the locker and we'll cut up. But, like, all right, it's go time, like – I need this out of you, and and it's 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 accountability, and it's and it's understanding that everybody needs everybody. You can't. I need like I need you to be good, um, and along with that is is not necessarily the ability 
um, or the willingness to step on guys' toes, but it's not being your feelings to when you do get your toes stepped on, like you don't act some kind of way. Uh, you've got to be receptive to that. You've got to be okay with, with guys coming at you and, and know that assuming it's coming from the right place if it's, a, if it's about holding the standard, if it's not just, you know, jealousy or, or anger or whatever the case may be. Um, assuming it's coming out of a place of accountability and, hey, like, I need more from you. You're better than this. This is not – you're not giving me everything you got. I know you're – I've seen you on Tuesday, and this practice sucks on Wednesday. Like, you got to come on, man. Um, that's huge. I think that's almost as big as the struggle is getting guys willing to speak up is, is guys willing to listen to that. Yep. Um, and a lot of that comes down to you got to – you've got to have that in yourself as a player – yourself if if you're never putting in work and you know um never you know about the right things you're not handling yourself in the classroom who am i to listen to you about missing study hall if you're you know not after practice for 20 minutes putting in work why am i listening to you about you know getting in extra work you know um i i think that's just as important as you got to make sure that you're the right person before you before you come a guy some type of way um, but there's got to be a willingness, you know. I think I think that's also really really important for um, for coaches to understand, because I think a lot of coaches struggle with being the bad guy themselves. They may want to be your friend. They may want to um, be a little too buddy buddy. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but there's got to be a fine line. Um, you know, I I know me and a friend of mine, a former teammate, we talk about it all the time. As a head coach, it doesn't matter how cool you are. I'm not going to like you because at the end of the day, you're my head coach. Mm-hmm. And it is what it is. I'm yeah. always going to look at you in a certain type of light. Like, you're always going to be the head coach to me. It doesn't matter anything else. We may be, you know, best friends 16 hours a day, whatever whatever it is. But, like, I'm always going to look at you in a certain light because you're the head coach. And I think there's something to be said for guys who just embrace that. Like, hey, I, it is, you know, this is this is the case. Um, I think I think on staffs it's important to have that balance. Who is the bad guy? Who isn't the bad guy? Sometimes there's got to be a mix. You can't have, you know, for us we've only got a, a supplemental staff of two. Mm-hmm. If I'm the bad guy every single day, eventually you guys are going to get sick of me, and I'm I'm never going to be able to coach because you're just not going to listen to anything I say. Um, now conversely, I understand the two guys that I work with are probably not as hard as I am and I know that I probably need to be the bad guy a lot of days because if I'm not no one's going to be and then it's going to be a little too fluffy in, in practice and I'm like all right like I'll be the one who kind of you know kicks you in the rear um and there's nothing wrong with that um but I think you've got to you've got to have a good balance and it's the same thing with, with the roster if you're going to yeah, have exactly. older guys come at you one day you need to have a couple other guys that hey, pick you up and hey man you know next play and um but it's very, very, very hard to find guys who are willing to speak that way to their teammates. Uh, and it's maybe even harder to find guys who are receptive to that message. But I think it goes back to your last point about you've got to coach that. You've got to co- grab that. Hey, man, when he talks to you, yeah. like, listen to him. Um, you know, he's been in the program three years. He knows what he's talking about. Like, he probably has something good to say. Like, don't get defensive. Listen to what he's got to say. Um, and then, and then the guy who is saying, "Hey, man, great message. Here's how you need to deliver it. You're saying the right things, but you're saying it the wrong way." Um, so it goes back to 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 coaching, coaching, um, 
But I, but I, I agree, man. If you got, if you got dudes who are okay coming at one another, uh, and guys who who listen, I mean, you've got a, you've got a really, really, really high level team, and you're looking at a team that's that's what separates the amateurs from the professionals. Yeah. Professionals, you know, they're that's how they're because this is a business. This this is this is our job. This is our livelihood. We're putting in work. You're a pro, man. Act like it. I think that's the biggest reason, especially in basketball. We've talked about it before. It's the longest sport by far. Like it's it's an eight nine month sport. You're playing the whole year. You're together for literally. We we started two weeks ago. We're gonna be together till you know halfway through March. That's when's the when's the national championship? Halfway through March. So we're gonna be together for that long. That's why I think even as a staff. Obviously, I've never been on a staff before, but you you kind of hinted at it. You have to build relationships with amongst your staff, and then. For me, I'm on the roster, obviously. You have to build relationships with players on the roster. If you don't have a relationship with every guy on your team, you don't got to be best friends. We all know uh, you're going to be closer with two or three guys. But you have to have a relationship with every single guy where it's like, hey, man, if I'm telling you, go get a, go get a rebound, block out, I'm trying to give you some advice, you, you're receptive to that. Because I think if every guy is just like, oh, man, he's just on me again today, I think the relationship – you have to build a relationship with people before you can just, hey, go get a rebound. Like, I think that's the thing – I can commend you on is when guys get here and we have eight, nine, uh, ten new guys this year, I think you try to build a relationship with everybody before you just MF them every day, you know. And I think that's the biggest thing that I could probably work on is, hey, every single day I got to talk to somebody, I got to have a relationship, go get food with the guy before you try to scream at them every day because they're not going to be respected, separate to that. So speaking, I think you're great at it. Like how do you build a relationship with guys early on? How do you – I mean, I, I know you played with – Countless people, you've probably been on two, three staffs by now. So how do you build a relationship with guys early on? I think for me personally, the first thing is is my upbringing. I moved so much growing up. Uh, I mean, I, I bounced around countless, countless times. I'd never been in a place more than two or three years at a time. And so from a very, very early age, that was just a habit I had to instill was you just you got to find a way to mesh and you got to find a way to make new friends and meet new people um it's a little bit of an oxymoron because i feel like it attributed a lot to my introversion as a person i'm not a super boisterous outgoing dude um and i think a lot of that's because i was just i, I moved so much i bounced around so much as that kind of resulted in me kind of going into my shell a little bit because you're constantly in new situations and new surroundings where you're uncomfortable you know, don't know people but at the same time, I think it put me in a position where it doesn't matter, you know, black, white, male, female, old, young. I'm gonna, we can get along because I, I've had to do it to survive. Just been around so many different people and I've been in so many different cities and states in my life. Is I just developed a, you know, habit of of being able to to get along with people. Um, and so I think that's the first thing is just me personally, um, just just my you know, childhood upbringing resulted in, in that skill being developed from a very, very early age. Um, but without question, it is, it is authenticity. If you, if you are a fake, like, especially coach the player, players can smell that from a mile away. Yeah, they can. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like me and my dad's favorite line from Remember the Titans. I may be a mean cuss, but I'm the same mean cuss with every single one of those boys. If you're going to be a jerk, that's fine, but you better be a jerk with every single dude 24-7. Um, because everybody can, but players especially, player to coach, like you can, you can, you guys know when somebody's fake. You guys know when the Iron Man, turn, to, turn off the charade. Uh, or worse, when you, when you recognize it, when you're this guy, you know, from 
9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and then we go to a team dinner and all of a sudden like you're trying to turn on and be buddy but like man like get out of my face I'm not exactly um and so that like developing the relationships with the guys from a coach to a player perspective it's it is almost 100 percent about authenticity you've got to be yourself you've got to be comfortable in your own skin as a man as a woman as a coach as a leader as a mentor if you are uncomfortable with who you are they will sniff it out and then it doesn't matter what you do it's not going to be uh received there is not going to be a relationship whatsoever uh and i think another thing is i think you've you've got to be uh aware of the the players on your team that crave that relationship and those that don't care for it yeah, that's a skill right and here. you can't force which is which some some people absolutely i need you to know what's going on at home i need you to know my mom's going through this let's talk about I'm, I'm going to come to the office and sit down every day, and we're going to shoot the breeze. And some guys I see at practice and dab you up, and that's all. That's, that's good enough for me. I don't need coach. Leave me alone, man. Um, you, you're not going to. You're not going to get that relationship with every single person, and you got to be okay with that. I think a lot of coaches go wrong when they're not okay with that. Um, you know, another another thing uh, that my dad taught me, and, and he says this all the time. You know, I'm 60 years old. You're 18. You don't want to be my friend, and I'll be honest, I don't really want to be your friend. I got yeah. enough friends. I don't, I like, if you don't like me, that's okay. We don't need to be buddy-buddy. Um, and that's all right. And, 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 and you know, he, he comes off the wrong way at first if you don't know my dad and his sarcasm. But then they understand, okay, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not forcing that relationship on you. I'm not, I'm not trying to pry any information. I don't need to know, you know, X, Y, Z that happened in your life unless you feel so inclined to tell me, in which case you've got to be – um, you know, able to listen. And I think that right there is a massive, massive piece why coaches do not have good relationships with their players is that they don't shut up. They never listen. Mm-hmm. A lot of coaches want to talk all the time. They want to do all the coaching, all the teaching. Sometimes guys just, they need to be heard. Like, shut up and listen. Um, Coach Sullivan's taught me, I mean, he's he's fantastic at that. I mean, you're aware of this. Every single time there's a conversation with a guy one-on-one, he will always end every single conversation. What do you need from me? Yeah, what can I do? Let's what can I do? Way too, which is very mature. What can I do? Which is, which, is, which is a rarity in coaching. Most coaches want to fix the problem right now. They think they have the answer. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of the issue with, with coaches trying to build relationships is they don't listen. They don't listen, and they're not their true authentic self. And I think that right there in and of itself is where probably 99% of guys go wrong. That's a great answer. That's really what I was looking for because I think not really in my – I've seen it before, like coaches just get on guys day one. You have to build a relationship before you can do any of that stuff. Segwaying a little bit from that, in terms of your time, your career playing, um, and then even after that, I mean, coaching is you see players every day. What is, what is like the main things you see in really successful players? I think if I had you on my podcast, you're a college basketball coach, um, I think I would be sliding people if I didn't ask you. What is what are some things that you see in really successful players? And a lot of times, successful players are going to be successful people. Um, so what do you what do you see in those? Is it is it uniform or is it different characteristics? Just walk me through that a little bit. I think um, probably the best the best answer for that is simplistically is professionalism. I think the way they approach their everyday. Um, is in a professional manner, and that what what leads them to be successful. 
obviously you don't have the talent, you don't have the physical attributes, you're not going to be. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. It's sports. Um, but, you know, I, I'll, give, I'll give you this an example. My best friend in the world um, is, is, is playing, playing professionally overseas, and he's been overseas for – You can say shout-out, JB. You can say it. Uh, Jerron Blossom Game is my <laughs> best friend. He's playing professionally over in Monte Carlo. He's had a brief stint in the NBA, in the G League, and he's been overseas for about four or five seasons now. And when he first got to school, uh, his freshman year, he broke his leg in a, in a preseason workout, like right around this time of the year, broke his leg, was out for the season, red-shirted his whole freshman year. Which turned out to be a be- blessing in disguise. Dude got in the weight room physically matured um had a, had a year to practice in red shirt and just really grew physically and, and, and mentally and, and understood the game better um as a lot of red shirts do with that season but the, and, and anybody who's ever asked me about them i'll tell you this like that that dude at 20 years old was i'm foam rolling nah i'm not eating that crap let's go somewhere else to eat um, i'm getting nice every day i'm in the tub I'm stretching before bed. I'm getting my sleep. You know, we had a, we had a thing in school when we were roommates. Was it didn't matter Friday or Saturday night how late we were out the night before, how many drinks message, we had. Hey man, 10 a.m. tomorrow. Like we're going to the gym. Doesn't matter if it's for 20 minutes or, or whatever. Like we we like wake up. We got to go. Um, that dude. So it's all it's all the stuff you hear about. You know, all these professional athletes. You know, LeBron jumps to mind because they get the article on like how much money he spends on his body annually um but same thing i mean these are guys who are doing that at 19 years old it doesn't i reach i I don't i don't get somewhere and then begin to do this it's i've been doing this for years and years and years and years um i i know you know obviously being with him firsthand in college that's that's how he was you know he was going to didn't matter what the schedule was didn't matter what we had to do didn't matter what football game or what party like all right, I'll be 30 minutes late because I got to get these shots in, or I got to, you know, make sure I get with a trainer, whatever the case is. Um, but there's a professionalism uh, in their daily habits, and it begins early. Uh, it does not happen once you get there. Um, it does not, it is not, you know, I reach, I'm not going to, I can't flip the switch. I'm not going to turn it on when I get to where I'm trying to go. I'm going to get to where I'm trying to go by doing those things um, every single day. Um, I, I've been around, you know, a lot of guys who are like that, and that's probably the most common thing for dudes who are successful. Was is just, you know, it wasn't it wasn't if I'm going to get my work in, it was when. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter. I'm I, I'm okay with sacrificing X, Y, or Z because I got to get this done. This is part of my day. Yep. This is this is part of my routine. It just has to happen. Um, I would say again, obviously, besides. God-given ability and talent. Um, that's probably the most most consistent thing is 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 guys carried themselves like professionals before they were professionals. That's far. And I would say we've talked about it before, but just like everything we talk almost every day, the best advice you probably ever gave me was just imagine your favorite player. We, we talked about Steve Nash, my favorite player. Imagine Steve Nash is walking around with you every second of the day. Like, how would you prepare? How would you stretch before practice? How would you work out if Steve Nash was like on your shoulder? Well, yeah, you're, I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna walk into Alabama and play for Nick Saban, and then you're like, oh, you know, if 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 if, if that's your like, if that's or if you're a Duke and you're for Shashevsky, like you're gonna come correct every day. Like, you're gonna be a locker room. Like, let me t- you know what? I actually am gonna tuck my jersey in. Let me make sure I'm on the court 15 minutes before. 
why are you going to do that at Alabama football? Why are you going to do that at Duke basketball? Why are you going to do that at the New England Patriots? Why are you going to do that at San Antonio Spurs? But you're not going to do it where you're at. Well, exactly. then you're never going to get to that point. You know, yep. It's not like you're going to get there and then turn it on. And I think that's where a lot of guys go wrong. I think that's where those who do have success and do make it to that level, they begin that early. You know, They, they, they recognize that. Um, Jerron, same. I mean, he he was drafted by San Antonio, and he was around Popovich and Tim Duncan and those guys and Kawhi and Ginobili. And I mean, that, that I remember him vividly telling me was like the way the way we ran things in college was very very similar to the way San Antonio ran their organization. And so it was, oh, it was a seamless transition because it's just what I've been doing. And I think that's where a lot of guys go wrong. You know, don't be you know a goofball at Lenore Ryan and then Try to be serious and do Yeah, it. and then go to, you know, Alabama and play for Nick Saban and all of a sudden like, come on man, Can't you know. You're not fooling anybody. Um kind of my last question on the basketball side of things like I got to ask you. I'm I'm really interested in this as well. Um not even personal goals, but picturing yourself in 5 to 10 years, where where would you be really really happy with? I have no are? idea. Um <laughs> that's a really hard question. Uh I think if you asked me a year ago, my answer would be different. I think if you asked me after this year, my answer will be different. Um, but I think right now for me, uh, what I would love to do in the immediate short-term, long-term future, uh, I think I would really, really enjoy being a Division II head coach. Uh, in my two years at this level, I have really, really enjoyed Division II. Um, we obviously have an unbelievable setup here in Lower Rhine, but really, really, really high-level uh, conference athletically across the board. Um, it is, in my opinion, as close to the Big South or SoCon as you can get without jumping D1. Um, but I would love, you know, I think, I think I've finally reached a point in my professional career, though brief, and I may be, you know, foolish for, for saying this or thinking this, but I've kind of finally, you know, have the confidence where like, nah, dude, like you can go, you can go be a head coach. You know, I probably can't, and I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, no one's no one's ready to be a head coach. Um, everybody will tell you that you're never ready. You think you are, but you're not. Um, but I, I think I'm ready with the fact that I'm okay with not being ready. I think I would love an opportunity to see. You know, could I run a program? Could I could I lead a group of young men? Could I get guys to buy in? All the stuff we've talked about. Could I hold dudes accountable? Um, could I coach other coaches? You know, I, I how would I do? handling a staff um, and, and helping those guys uh, grow in their careers professionally. Um, but I, I, in the immediate future, I mean, I would love, I think, like you said, five years, um, hopefully sooner, I would love uh, to be in a position where I could potentially go after and get a Division two head job um, because I would love to see if I would be capable of doing it. I think I can. Um, but I would love the opportunity to be able to run a program and see if if uh, I'm as good as I think I am in my own head. Yeah, that's fire. That's a fire. That's that's what I was looking for right there. Kind of to segue a little bit. I don't want to talk about just basketball the whole entire time. Obviously, we're people outside the game. I think you're a big proprietor of telling guys like, hey, you got to have a relationship with with other things in life, whether it be you know listening to music, going hanging out with your with your boys, getting some food with the guys. I think. Personally, I've grown the most in that aspect of things is I've kind of learned, hey, you don't have to be in the gym every single night for four hours just killing yourself. Just talk about 
you've you've told you told me this multiple times. Talk about how how you encourage guys to have a relationship with other things besides basketball. Whether it be I know you listen to music twenty four seven or just just finding things you you like to paint, which is crazy. But uh, just finding things outside of the game that keep you sane. Because we've talked about the season is a grind. It's eight months. You can't. If you're serious for eight months and just in the gym, your your body will literally say, "Hey, I'm done." Uh, in February, when you still have eight games left. Well, like pretty much everything in my life, something I learned from my dad. He he is he is phenomenal at disassociating from from his job and and from the game. He is terrific at that. Um, he does a great job of, you know, I I remember in high school or growing up as a kid. You know, that dude came home and he puts his stuff down and it's time to eat dinner. Like, um, my phone is on the other side of the room. It's on silent. I don't care how many missed calls from my boss I'm getting. Like, he can deal with it in 30 minutes. I'm worried about my family right now. Um, and so I, I, I just grew up around that, seeing my dad, the way he handled um, his career and, and his ability to disconnect from the game. Um, I think it's I think it's really – I think it's really sad when people can't do that. I yeah. think it's really disappointing when people – like don't know that there's like kind of a lot more to this life thing than just your sport exactly um in, in regards to to being a player i think a lot of that is so much of your identity is wrapped up in your sport when you're young uh because it's Oh, I got this offer to go to the school and now I can walk around my high school and wear the t-shirt and the college I'm going and that's really cool and I can put the bumper sticker on the back of my car and, and, and you feel like you're kind of the man around your high school because, you know, you're a really good athlete, you know, you're the star running back or, you know, you're an unbelievable pitcher. Um, and then you get to college and, and then you realize how much work uh, goes into being a college athlete and, and your day, your nine to five, your twenty four seven is is quite literally consumed um, with with uh, your sport and workouts and, and meetings and practices and weights and conditioning and class and all that. Um, and then and then you get done playing and it's very abrupt and you're kind of left with you know who the hell am I? Um, you don't know who you are without without the game. Um, and so I, I think I think that's really I think that's really sad, um, but I, I think I think I think a lot of that stems from you've got to recognize that early, um, you know you got you got to acknowledge that there's so much more to life than just the sport you play, and I think for for your generation it's probably way easier for you guys because you have so much accessibility. Yeah. To I can hop on Instagram and there's somebody who's 24 years old and they're in Bali, you know. Well, how how in the world are they able to? It's it's just it's in front of your face all the time. You see more people doing more things, um, particularly at younger ages, and, and because you have the exposure to it through social media, you see that there is so much to life that they're like there's so much more than just the sport you play, um, and so I think that that's super beneficial for for you guys and in, in your generation, you know. I, it's certainly that whole, you know, financial freedom, travel the world, you know, I'm my own boss. That wasn't not nearly as prominent when I was in college um, as it is for you guys now, which I think is great in that aspect. Um, but I think you, there's just there's just not enough exposure to like, you know, uh, what is what is your life outside of the sport? Uh, uh, an absolutely unbelievable question for for 
anybody, but particularly student athletes, and then for coaches is what are your hobbies? Mm-hmm. And you realize, oh, damn, I don't have any. Yeah, like, no, like what do you like? No, 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 not no, by yourself. Just you. You can do anything for the day. Well, like, what are you doing? And you realize, like, I mean, I don't really have any. Um, Tell the people what you're going to do. You're going to paint. Uh, no, I'm not going to paint. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think for coaches what happens is uh, there's so much insecurity. And what I mean by that is there's so much fear that if I don't do something, somebody else is and we're going to get behind. And I've got to fight for my job and I've got to keep my family fed and I don't want to get fired and move and look for a new place and my AD's on my tail and all, whatever whatever it is. But there is so much uncertainty from head coaches because there's so much, I'm seeing what this other guy's doing or I went on the road recruiting and talked to this guy and he was telling me they were doing this, that, and the other. And, and you become, you start to second guess what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so you feel the need to do more, you feel the need to change, you feel the need to do other things. Those that are really successful are those that are super secure in themselves, and they this is what we're doing, this is how we're going to do it, and it is what it is. Um, and it, it ties back into the initial question. You know, that's how you get guys to buy in if you're sure about what you're doing. And so when you become fearful of what you might not be doing or what others are that you aren't, it results in more work. You end up doing more things, and you be, become consumed with your profession. Um I mean, there are countless and countless, you know, tales of, of, of coaches. More people are getting out of coaching now than ever mm-hmm. because it's becoming entirely too consuming. Their wives, their spouses, their husbands, I, I, I'm not dealing with the long hours. I'm not dealing with you being away for these many days. You know, you never see your kids, all that stuff. And there are so many people getting out of this profession because of that. I think that becomes – you know, it, it ties back to being able to disassociate. Like, people can't do it. Um, or, you, you just, like I said, you're just insecure. You're, you're worried that somebody else is doing it, so you feel like you have to do more. You know, you watching film at 10, 30, what you said, me being on the court four hours a day, like, that ain't making you better than, no. you know, the dude that God was like, you know what, you can be 6'6 six, six and a freak athlete. Like, yep. it, like great, I'm, I, I, you know, I applaud you at your hard work, but, like, it's not going to – it is what it is, you know. Me watching film at 1030, you know, at night on a Friday night in the middle of June, like when nothing – like that's not winning us any games this year. Go to the bar. Like go hang out with some friends. Like have fun. Um, but I think I think for for coaches they become so terrified of, yeah, of exactly. what, like things that are happening when I'm not working. So I have to always be working or somebody else is going to recruit that kid because I didn't call him today. It's, it's okay. Like you can leave him alone for one day. It's not going to be the end of the world. Um, but I, I think, I think the big, the, the, the biggest thing is for both players and coaches in that regard is, is you've just, you've got to recognize. And I think this is where so many people in collegiate athletics go wrong that, at the end of the day, and I'm sure you've heard me say this, at the end of the day, what we do is absolutely not important. Mm-hmm. And obviously it is. It doesn't mean you don't work hard. It doesn't mean you don't. But, like, this is what I always said. You know, people wake up and they go to work and they perform open-heart surgery. There are people who go to work and they are saving other humans' lives. That's an important job. What I'm doing, it's not not important. You know, if you're in for the right reasons, you're helping, you know, young men and women mature and, and, and grow and, you know, give them opportunities they may not have had. And, um, but at the end of the, like me telling you how to dribble a basketball, that don't mean nothing no. like that. That's irrelevant. You've got to have a bigger purpose. You've got to have a better understanding 
and a better perspective of life. And I think that's where a lot of coaches and players go wrong. They don't have a great perspective. There isn't something bigger than this. There isn't something greater than what we're doing. Um, and that just results in you just wearing yourself out and becoming consumed in, 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 in this business and this sport. And it's just, like I said, it's honestly just sad because there are so many better things, so many other things, so much else in life that life has to offer you. Um, and it's just, you know, you've got to, I think it comes down to, to perspective and understanding that this is not the most important thing. Um, I, I, I got to touch on that because especially for me personally, I think the biggest thing I can only talk from a player's perspective, players get so caught up in working so hard and caring so much that you start to play, you start to perform out of a place of fear of all this. What if all this I'm doing doesn't matter? Whenever you get to that point and you have no perspective on the whole broad and this is just basketball and you, you get out of playing out of joy, I think that's the biggest thing guys guys forget. Like, Obviously, we're practicing eight hours a week, ten hours a week. You're working out by yourself. But if you ever get to a point where you're playing out of fear of failing, and it's a lot easier said than done. You have to get to a point where you're just playing because I love the game. Well, it becomes I put in all this work and it's not working. Exactly. Um, instead of I put in all this work, when my career is said and done, I can look back with no regrets, Yep. which is the perspective you need to have. It needs to be the, hey, I squeezed this toothpaste bottle as hard as I could. There's no more toothpaste left. I can I can I can hang up my jersey, you know, and feel good about myself. That's that's the approach, not the what what if it doesn't work out? I, I did all this and it's not it, it's not working. That's that's the wrong way wrong way to approach it. It's got to be to empty the tank so that way when it's done, there is no regret. That's the worst thing you can have is is to look back and be like, man, what if I did a little bit extra? Or what if I did that? And what if I did this? Um, but I, I agree. I, it's, it's, fear is exactly the right word. Oh, last question for you. I, I got to touch on this. I'm going to preface this by saying Coach McGillan listens to music at least uh, 12 hours a day in his 14-hour work day. Every moment of the day during workouts, um, I know at the crib all day. Um, what what? I'm, it's a hobby. You said it before. People say that, oh, music isn't a hobby. It's definitely a hobby for you. What kind of stemmed that? What brought that into fruition for you that, hey, music is a thing I love. Music is a thing that just gets me through the day. Bad day, you can listen to you know, whatever song you want, brighten your day up. What what got you into that? Was it college? Was it early in high school? Just just break that down for me because I think it's a great question for guys, especially on our team, to listen to. I think um, the the first the first time I really listened to music was I was in fifth or sixth grade. Um, God, I remember this. Uh, I had a freaking Walkman. Um, my my best friend in sixth grade burnt me a CD off iTunes. What's a Walkman? I know. Uh, I'm being so serious. Uh, you know what a Walkman is. I promise you I do not. Yes, you do. I'm going to Google it after. I got you. A Walkman is a portable CD player. So you pop the CD and okay, you okay. can hold it. You know what a Walkman is, dude. Don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not. I ain't that old. Dude, I'm so Come serious. On. Uh he burned me a CD, man. It had Yo by Chris Brown. It had So Sick by Neo. It had Rodeo by Juvenile. Um, and I remember I used to listen to it all the time. Um, and then I finally got, I finally got a, uh, I think in seventh grade, maybe eighth grade, I finally got a, um, I got a Nano. I got an iPod Nano. Uh, and I had the case with, like, the clip on it so you could, like, attach it to your shorts so you could, like, listen to while you shot, while you were shooting. Um that was like the first time I really got into music. I had a, I had gotten a, um, 
Now that's what I call Music City 17. I think they're like at 100 now. Uh, I remember that. Like it was, God, like these old CDs where they would just take like the top 20 radio hits, didn't matter the genre, and they'd just throw it on a CD and then they would sell it in like Target. Uh, and I used to make my mom play it in the car all the time. Um, I remember, I remember like, probably the very probably the very 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 first time i got into music like very first time like music resonated with me it was probably because of my aunt my aunt my mom's younger sister she lives um about an hour out from here she she essentially raised me a little bit when i was when i was young growing up um she she uh we were at my grandparents house for a year when i was about two to three years old and my mom was working my, my little brother was a newborn and so she, she, like, I was with her all the time. Like, me and her spent, like, all day, every day together. Um, and she was real big into music. I remember, like, songs, um, like, off movies. Like, I remember when I was real little, like, the Friends theme song. I used to love the Friends theme song. Um, I remember when I was real little, like, bought the Tarzan soundtrack CD. Um, but that was probably, like, real, real, real young when it first, like, caught my attention. And then as I got older it became you just you just did it to be cool like all right what's everybody listening to i want to know what everybody's talking about like i want to know the lyrics and like did you listen yeah yeah i heard that and so you just did it to kind of be cool and so you kind of kept up just to be uh in with the in crowd and then as i got into probably probably like probably not until college you kind of start developing your own taste mm-hmm. um and I really don't care what you like, you know. When, when you're young, like you're embarrassed to like be. Hurt. That's something I admire about you. Coach McGill will play any music in the gym. If it's good, it's good. You playing any music in the gym? Absolutely. That couldn't be me personally. I got. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. When you're young, like you get embarrassed, like you know, why you listen to this female singer? Like because she sounds incredible and this song is amazing. Yeah, that's dope. Um, but probably like once I got into college, like I started to develop my own taste, and you stop, you stop being embarrassed about what people think the music you're listening to and then after college you start getting to the point where you recognize those people that are like ragging on you about that music don't understand like they don't appreciate and you start like you it, it, it flips you start making fun of them for like not being able to grasp like why this is good music mm-hmm. um but um i think like i don't know i think it's i think it's something about I think it's something about listening to I, I think it's I think it comes down to just like listening to somebody sing and being like, Wow, like God really touched you. Like that like it don't matter how much you practice, like nobody else can make like their voice do that. Like that that like really, really, really resonates with me. I think I think for me and it probably stems from sports too, you know, you're you it's just like everybody, you you look at the the you know, the Tom Brady's and the Kobe Bryant's, like, just people who are just, like, so much better than everybody. You're, you're drawn to, like, this unbelievable mastery of, of what they do. That's the same thing for music. Like, I listen to somebody open their mouth and sing, and it's just, like, there there is an appreciation. There is a, you know, wow, like, you are blessed. Like, that is that is really, really cool that, like, you can do that. Um, and that's probably, I mean, that's probably, like, what, what affects a lot of my taste now is 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 uh like real raw talent 
Um, just to let y'all know, Coach McGowan has the best playlist of all time. I listen to his playlist every single day. The morning playlist, weekend getaway. That's my study playlist. That's that's fire for sure. He's got some, he got some top tier playlists. Just kind of wrapping everything up. I really appreciate you for coming on the podcast. It's something that's near and dear to me. Obviously, thank you for everything you do for me every day. I know I get on your nerves every day. I know my defensive capabilities get on your nerves as well. But I try my best. Just wrap wrap me up with something you would like to tell people, rising basketball players, somebody that wants to coach when they get older. Throw your message at me. Somebody wants to coach when they get older. Yeah. Don't coach. <laughs> this is stupid. That's not the first time. This is stupid. Do not coach. Give me, give me, please, give me your uh, your message. Give me your uh, what's it called? Like your your mantra. You got to give me the big three and then oh, wrap, oh, wrap right. me up. Give me the big three and wrap All it right. up. Uh, the my <laughs> my my coaching pillars or my program pillars or my cultural backbone or whatever core values whatever you want to call them. Uh, number one, get over yourself. Number two, have some feel. Number three, be the right person. You want me, you want me to explain them? Yeah, give me give me the expl- explanation. Uh, they ironically started as a joke. Uh, it was something me and my dad used to make fun of, um, because and we still do. We we hate we hate. Hate, 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 hate all these coaches. Everybody's got like their their program pillars. Long winded. They be so long winded. Well, they got like six or seven of them, and they sure. and everybody's got the same ones: humility, respect, you know, service. You know, everybody's got the same one: character, you know, grit, hard work. Like everybody's got the same ones, and it, it ends up being cliche. And like we'd always we'd always make fun of the coaches because it's just like they're all it is is stuff to put on the locker room wall mm-hmm. for decoration or something to put on. Uh, you know, a presentation when you're interviewing for a job, but you don't actually like live those things. You don't actually mean them, and so uh, they just they just become they just become diluted. And they're just words. You don't you know you don't don't put you know don't put respect on the wall and then not you know actually teach your kids how to have respect around campus. Um, and so it started as a joke because me and my dad hate we hate those things. You know his his thing is always you know oh, well, Marty if you were a head coach you know what would be your would be your team so would be your hashtag and he'd be like my hashtag would be no hashtag we just show up kick your ass and leave like we don't need to talk about it Message. um and so it's, it's ironic because it was a joke and so um get over yourself as popovich uh there's there's a coaching clinic and you can probably find it on youtube uh and and one of the questions somebody asked him is you know hey how do you deal with with a-holes in your organization mm-hmm. how you deal with jerks in your organization and he goes very easy we don't let them in i don't have to deal with them if i don't ever put them you know on my team um you know and he he made a great point he's like if i have to go to work uh we got to play 82 games plus playoffs and practices and travel he goes if i gotta go to work every day and like Be around, yeah. i gotta i gotta deal with you like my life is miserable and yep. i'm not gonna live a miserable life i'm just not gonna do it and so he says, when we look for guys, we look for dudes who have gotten over themselves. We look for dudes who are over themselves. They don't care, you know. Um, coach, you know, you wore the wrong shoes. They're they're pink when they're supposed to be. Well, you know, hey, coach, I'm just glad I got a pair of sneakers. I don't care. Dude's over himself, you know. Get over yourself is it's, it's about humility. It's about um, – you know, understanding that there's it's bigger than you. It's big, yeah, exactly. It's bigger than you. Uh, it, it's it's not about you. It's not about you. As, as as my dad would say, get off the island of me. Um, and so I, I think 
in 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 coaching your team so much of your problems are rooted in guys who are not over themselves you know i'm not playing more dude shut up get over yourself like it's not about you um that's number one number two is have some feel uh is t-shirts on the way it is um, ng investments t-shirts on the way it is something me and my dad said all the time when we work together uh feel is essentially read the room take the hint um you know get a grip uh but it is it is probably the most applicable phrase ever um it's, it's just it, it, it's really awareness it's really uh sensitivity is what it is it, it it teaches you to be alert in all situations you know don't say something uh about someone if you don't know mm-hmm. you know things like that um you know we always say uh, if you don't know what feel is, you probably don't have any. Um, but uh, it, it, that's what it's, – it's just about being alert and aware, and, and it's about consideration is what it is. It's just being considerate. Um, and the last one is be the right person. Be the right person is, is just – it's simple, you know. Um, it's just about doing things for other people what it, it, it very it's exactly what it says be the right person what would the right person in this situation do mm-hmm. and then do that thing um you know don't be don't be too don't be too a good for anything too good for anybody don't be above any task you know just you know hold the door for somebody you know pick up a piece of trash like just just be the right person it's not don't 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 overcomplicate things don't think you're you're too good or too important it's nice to be important but it's more important to be nice um and um, message the the things i love about those three is if you've got like your your stereotypical respect hard work all that stuff it's very hard to apply those day to day within Mm -hmm. your program what i love about those three is i mean you guys joke about it you, we say feel 9,000 times a day. Yeah. Have some feel. Yep. Man, you got no feel. Hey, that's great feel. Like, it's it's real. I can say I – can, I can walk up to you in practice and be like, man, get over yourself. It's applicable. Yeah, it, it's – it's it, yeah, you use it. It's actually usable. You know, you're whining about uh, – I didn't make a – you know, blow the whistle. Man, get over yourself. You know, next play. You know, we get off the bus at 3 a.m. And, and, and you're walking back to the locker room and you see – manager with seven bags go grab one be the right person man like come on like be a guy just just like, help out um they're 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 very applicable um and i think for me you know again they began as a joke and it was kind of my coaching cliche you know to rag on other coaches for having phrases and then i kind of realized hey these are actually pretty good and i think they're unique and i think the biggest thing for me personally is i realized that those three things are my core values as a man personally those things are um with like who i identify as a person outside of my profession these aren't just things that you know i turn on when i go to the office these are things that i hopefully try to live you know 24 7 within my life that's dope coach i appreciate man i appreciate you a lot for coming on the podcast uh gotta shout out the sponsors i got some new sponsors this week you said uh tom ford reached out um, Gucci reached out as well. Nike Athletics reached out. I'm, I'm going to definitely tag them. Um, please go show love to all them. I know it's big companies, but they reached out this week. So, But, again, on a serious note, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. I think it was a great conversation. I'm really excited. 
I'm going to preface the, the end with just please like and share, and everybody just have some feel. Y'all, y'all do better in y'all daily lives. We're out.